0: In yin so tai, we're asking that question, right? What's the least amount of effort I could ask the patient to give me? And all I have to do is meet. To resist a very light effort, I don't have to come in heavy-handed. So I'm learning something all the while myself when I do yin so tai with a patient.
1: I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Learning to practice medicine is hard. It's hard because it takes time, and there is no way around the seasoning and understandings that seemingly spontaneously show up one day after years of attentive puzzling. It's a curious thing learning to practice medicine. Our teachers tell us something or they show us something, but we rarely understand it in the moment. We will copy them and do what they do and Often enough, it is helpful. But the thing that will season you as a practitioner is seeing for yourself how things work. In that moment, when you really see it, when it unfolds for you and you get it, in that instant, the learning truly becomes yours. Something transformative happens. You can skillfully focus your attention once you know how something works you see clearly through your experience you no longer need to lean on theory you're working directly with the reality of nature so for example once you're able to see the expression of and how blood stasis is held in place by your patient with emotional trauma you no longer need your teacher's voice in your ear saying emotional trauma Creates blood stasis. This is a subtle shift from believing to knowing. And as you see for yourself how the medicine can work, you'll begin to see connections to which you were previously blind. You no longer need the stepping stones. Now you can see the path. You could say with medicine, we learn it ourselves, but we don't learn it by ourselves. We have plenty of help but there comes a moment when you go from working through the construct of an idea to something more organic and unfolding it comes in bits and pieces over time it requires both patience and attention but it does come in time and when it does there is both a sense of loss and gain at the same moment as You retire the ideas of your teachers and join them in a more embodied way of puzzling through the medicine. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula, or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust my way for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change, versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things, are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you're helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code chi for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. The character for listen in Chinese, ting, it's made up of the characters for eyes, ears, and heart. It does not include the character for hand, but if you've practiced for any length of time, you'll know the importance of listening to what our hands tell us. Bob Quinn, who has previously joined us on Geological, you can check out episode number 46, which was on the investigation of dreams in East Asian medicine. Bob suggested that we do a series of conversations on bodywork, which I thought was a terrific idea. And I've got him with us today to kick off this series on bodywork and East Asian medicine. Over the next month or so, we'll be bringing you perspectives on medicine that rely less on the use of needles and more on the use of hands. I really appreciate Bob reaching out with this idea and joining me today for this conversation on yin sotai. Let's get into it. Bob Quinn, welcome back to Geological.
0: Thanks, Michael. It's good to be back.
1: It's good to have you here. So you sent me an email not too long ago, I thought was a fantastic suggestion, which was, how about doing a month of just delving into bodywork on Geological? Yeah. And I love it when something comes across my attention and I just like go, yes, that's right, and why didn't I think of that a while ago? Right. Well, you've
0: covered some of the ground already. I know you had Alice uh, wielding on with her Seiki, right, The war- mm-hmm. developed by Kishi Akinobu. And uh, you probably have had others as well.
1: I've had some others, yes. Uh, Winter Jade. and
0: Didn't see her on your list, I'll, I'll listen to that.
1: Yeah, there's a number of them, but I, I loved the idea. Let's just like take a month. Let's just like really take a dive. And and so, you're up first, man. You kicked off the idea. So, I'm happy to have you here for this. So, there's all kinds of different bodywork, right, in our particular profession. And it seems to me, so often those of us that use needles tend to preference the needles over our hands, right. Right. I mean, you're a little bit different. You come from the Japanese traditions, and those tend to be a bit more hands on. There certainly are hands on traditions within East Asian medicine. But, like, really, really using those hands, using the body as a whole, it seems to me, when I think about my early education, it's something that you learn on the way to getting to use a needle. And so I'm really interested in taking a dive here with you on, what if we just stick with our hands?
0: It probably was the oldest uh, healing modality. It was just simple touch. By the way, we were mentioning Alice. She's come up with kind of a Seiki touch manifesto. I'll send you that. Because I was much influenced by studying with her in Europe and hope to study uh, further with her, I, I do practice some Seiki here with my patients, but this touch manifesto might be something you want to add as a resource to your interview with her, and you know, to send an update to your listeners. That's a little bit outside of what we're talking about with yin so tai in my path of body work. But 1983, I was living in Atlanta. I bought a bodywork table, and my girlfriend at the time, her best friend, was a massage therapist. A fairly newly minted one, and she was eager to share techniques with us. And my girlfriend, she eventually became a massage therapist herself. We would just practice. So that was a long time before I started to study Chinese medicine formally, which was 1995. So already 12 years before, I was just in in love with just touching bodies, right?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And then just continued through the years, always wanting to give friends shoulder rubs and things like that. And I picked uh, Ocom as the place I would study because I really loved their shiatsu teacher at the time, as Jim Cleaver. And uh, when I had visited the school, I visited his class, and he used me as a model for the whole class. And I could see this guy's got world-class hands, and I, I want to study with him. And I was actually the last person to study with him at Ocom because then he and Heiner, Fruhoff, went and started the program at N U M, And uh, I went over once I graduated and I became his teaching assistant, not for shiatsu, but for the acupuncture classes. He, he was teaching those also. And around that time that I started to study shiatsu with him, maybe six months later, I started to study traditional Thai massage with Dr. Paul Greenbaum, who's uh, he'd probably been practicing that in the U.S. longer than almost anyone. And uh, still does. He's a chiropractor, acupuncturist, massage therapist. And I did about 120 hours with him. Some classes repeated. I practiced. Time massage kept me alive for, just in a financial sense for years because I don't think I was that good an acupuncturist. Uh, but I was a hell of a good massage therapist, uh, time massage. I only did time massage.
1: Mm-hmm. I think about, I was talking with someone just the other day, a recent graduate. And they're like, how do you get started? I mean, how do you, like, keep yourself afloat until you're finally afloat? And, you know, I know that a lot of people, you know, they'll do part-time jobs sometimes. If they have a bodywork background, they'll keep doing some of that. What I'm curious to know from you is how the time massage at that time not just kept you afloat, but maybe helped inform your acupuncture work so that you could understand better Mm -hmm. what you were doing with that?
2: Well, at
0: that time, I was studying the Mark Seam acupuncture physical medicine style. I never really had a love for TCM right from day one, sad to say. And I'm not trying to say anything negative about it as a style, but just my personal response to it. I wanted something hands-on, patient-based. In those days, uh, Marc Seam was coming to OCOM every year to teach uh, continuing ed classes. Uh, Kiko was coming in too, by the way. And so I was working for three years at the, while I was a student at the HIV clinic that Sabuti Dharmananda still runs. It's not exclusively donated, dedicated to HIV patients any longer, but there's still this clinic called the Immune Enhancement program or project IEP and I worked there it was called moxa slave but I was paid and I did Mm -hmm. four hours of moxa nonstop, basically every Friday afternoon one of the acupuncturists there Eduardo he was a student of Marxine so I could not just have Mark's books but I could see what it looked in action to you know work in the this idea of the three great circuits and the palpation incorporating the extraordinary vessel treatment, local treatment, other meridian treatment. So I was thinking that way. And luckily at Oakcom, my supervisor was the Twina teacher. I got on his shift all the time. Only one exception, or actually two. So all my clinic shifts with a guy who loved putting hands on bodies, and he was interested in Mark's work. So he just turned me loose to do that. And so I just, I never really had supervision to practice TCM. Even I have a doctoral degree in <laughs> it, sorry to admit yes. that, but...
1: Well, but you had an opportunity to really follow what had your attention.
0: It's for sure had my attention. I wanted to have help making sense of palpation-based information. And, uh, you know, it's not an, a brutal style. You, you, we use... Uh, 38-gauge needle in that style. I don't practice it any longer, but I'm glad I went through that. And I still know the thinking. I I think Mark Seen made a real contribution to Chinese medicine here. You could see his background in philosophy and the way he approached things. And uh, so it was gentler than the needling I had learned in school by a little bit. And uh, But then, uh, you know, I started coming up to... Your neck of the woods at that time, Seattle, starting in January of 99, slowly taking those classes in the certificate program. You might remember that. It was based out of NIOM at the time.
1: Yes, back when there was a NIOM.
0: Yeah, Stephen Brown, Dan Zizza, Brenda Lowe. And yeah, Stephen Brown taught Sotai, which is our topic here. My expression of that, I call Yin Sotai. But that's where I got my start. Was Stephen was my meridian therapy teacher? I had him for eight days learning Shudo style meridian therapy. Then the ion pumping chords with various teachers there, including Brenda Low, and I redid the Sotoi course two years later with Stephen, and it was a much smaller group. That's when I really started to click with it, and the ion pumping chord classes really were key for me because I practiced that Monica style for 10, 12 years in a kind of a fusion with the Shudo style, meridian therapy. But I also had people coming to my practice who just wanted Thai massage. And I was spending a lot of time trying to develop my skills there. And luckily, my teacher was a local teacher, so I could spend more time with him. And now I'm much more Yin therapy oriented guy these days, and Thai massage is not that. It's quite physical. You know, it can be done, it doesn't have to be done brutally, but it, it's a direct
1: form. I've had a little Thai massage. It's kind of like someone's doing yoga on you along with some massage. It's exactly delightful.
0: Yeah, but it's what we call a direct method, and in Sotai, including Yin Sotai, is indirect. So What does that mean? That indirect method, we move away from constriction, pain, right? So we're going to move the patient's shoulder, neck, any joint, knee. We're always going to move in the direction of ease. Sotai is as much a movement therapy as it is body work, right? There's no massaging that really goes on in a Sotai treatment, purely Sotai treatment. Whereas Thai massage is direct, right? If you can't stretch your hamstring, they stretch it for you, right? And they keep going into the range that's difficult to go into.
1: And they'll put their fingers on insertions and all kinds of things to help loosen it up even more.
0: Yeah, I still think very highly of Thai massage. It's just at this point in my life, I'm interested in the indirect method.
1: What happened for you with that? You were so involved with the Thai. And then then this other thing comes, and it sounds like it's the exhale to an inhale, completely opposite.
0: I think the acupuncture led me there. I think the acupuncture was what led me into a gentler body work because eventually it start to get a little bit somewhere. I've had, you know, I won't name them, but teachers of mine from that time when I was just learning the Japanese styles tell me, you know, by the way, back then you weren't any good at all, right? <laughs> so it took a while to get somewhere.
1: It does take a while to get somewhere. But then
0: patients started to tell me this works better than what you did before, right? Before meaning more yang style needling, say. So the patients were encouraging me to pursue this more yin style and Then I met in that second class with uh, Stephen Brown. He mentioned that he had come in contact, just phone contact at that point, with Peter Thompson in Connecticut, kind of down near at the Rhode Island corner. And Peter had studied even before him, kind of generation 1.0. I think of myself and you as generation (laughs) 2.5. But that original generation of pioneers, right, you had uh, Dan Bensky, Ted Kapchuk. But in Japan, you know, you had Dan Kenner and Peter Thompson studying first Westerners and that they passed the National Board exams. They, they still have practice, rights, privileges in Japan and came back here. Right? So I think Peter graduated in 77 or 78. But what Stephen explained was odd about Peter is... Sotai was his number one therapy. Acupuncture and then Moksa, these were secondary and tertiary therapies for him. Well, at that time, I'd spent quite a bit of time reading in Hashimoto's book. I'd done classes with Stephen. i have been practicing it with the patients. I literally didn't even know how to conceive of that. What would that even look like? For me, Sotai at that point in time was at the most 10, but more typically five minutes at the end of an acupuncture treatment, do a few movements to try to, I was thinking of it, try to integrate fascially any muscular releases you had achieved in your acupuncture treatment. And put tie front and center as the main therapy, I, I didn't even, I thought, well, how would you even get started? And what would you do? and. So that was in the back of my mind. At the time, you know, I had started a company, People's Herbs, and we had just started to make money. And I just felt this drive because it takes a lot of time to get a company going. And that had been Mm. consuming for three years. I just felt the call to really find my own expression of East Asian medicine I sold my shares, I sold my condo, I st- stuck everything in a storage and uh, went off on walkabout. And I thought it was going to be 3 months, turned out to be 13. And in that time, I had a chance to study with Shudo Sensei for the first time that was when he came to Seattle. And at that seminar, he introduced us to Junji Mizutani, Jeffrey Dan. He allowed them to teach for two hours each what they were working on. In Jeffrey's case, the Koshi balancing. In Junji's case, this novel use of the bamboo tube in his moxa style. And I met Peter Thompson. I went back to Connecticut. He was booked out two months into the future, but I mentioned Stephen Brown's name. And he said, okay, I'll give up my lunch. You can come on such and such a day. It was two weeks out. And I grew up in the Northeast, so I had family I could stay with. And I, I went there, and he's living on this one-lane road out in the middle of the boonies. And there's no development around, no, no nearby malls or anything like that. And I think, how do people even find him? You know, There were no apps for finding people then. I had written instructions with 20 turns on it to get to his place. How does he stay booked out for two months into the future when he's out here in the middle of nowhere? And then the treatment, he just had me, here's the intake. I stood in front of him with my underwear on, and he just looked at my feet, my ankles, my knees. He just went up the body making Notes on this crazy little charting system he has, and then told me to get up on the table. And then he just danced his way through my body. It was the most just unbelievable experience for me. At the end, I didn't know which end was up, and I, I got off the table and I had to stop myself from crying. I just, my back, I had this low level low back pain for a long time i had just come off five years of chronic lyme disease and three and a half years at that point point. and i just said i've got to learn what this guy's it's just unbelievable i want to be able to do this for people and it turned out that was october and that was the first article i wrote for the north american journal by the way it was describing that visit to peter thompson's clinic And he's still practicing, by the way. And I came back in January, I think it was, to Boston. He taught a weekend class at the Charles River School of of Shiatsu. And by nature, a pretty good student. But I had an experience in his class I've never had anywhere else before or since. I didn't miss anything. It was like I was a sponge. Everything he said just went right in and found a home. And I left feeling like, I think I can make a good start of duplicating this style. And that's what I I came back to Portland eventually. And uh, that's what I did. And I started doing things the way Peter did them. And I would go back to Connecticut every summer for a day, spend it at his clinic with him, uh, treat his wife, Akiko, and treat him and get feedback next year again, next year again. And that's how I made the progress in the regular Dr. Hashimoto's version of Sotai. Well, actually, I said qualify that. Peter said, it's natural. You eventually find your own way. You have your own experiences you have to pay attention to. He said, strictly speaking, I don't do it exactly the way Hashimoto taught me. Right. He studied with him directly, but also with one of his lieutenants. I think his name maybe was Mr. Yoshima. I might have that wrong, but I think that's right. And uh, But then back in Portland, I was being exposed to Feldenkrais. I had the seminar hosting company here, hosting uh, Japanese medicine stuff. And we snuck in Russell Delman a number of times, who combines Zen, that's the Japanese piece, with uh, Feldenkrais' work, and I studied more with him outside of hosting him here, and of course watched a lot of videos and studied also when Anat Baniel came to town here. She started her own work, but it's clearly strongly influenced by her beginnings with Moshe Feldenkrais. And so these were slowly leading me in the direction of gentler and gentler expressions of Sotai. And uh, I was studying Milton Traeger's work also. Dean Juhan came to Seattle. I think Dave Engstrom might have been instrumental in bringing him. He had studied with Dean before, that I'm sure of. But it could have been one of Dave's friends, brought him. I just can't recall. But I had been studying with private tutors here in Portland, the, the Traeger work, for a few years at that point. This kind of harkens back, by the way, to our last topic when I was talking with you, the Chinese medicine dream work. Why was I doing Traeger? (laughs) Because I had a dream. It was probably in 2000 or so that told me, combine Shudo, meridian therapy, the ion pumping cords of Monica, Sotai, and Traeger. I didn't even know what Traeger was, but the dream was so clear that I had to go out and figure out what is this stuff. And uh, that's still a part of my work. I don't have a certification as a Traeger practitioner, so I don't hang out a shingle like that but Dean Juhan who is the successor to Milton Traeger he put the stamp of approval on my work he saw me working on Dave and I did a little with him and he said that I wouldn't gain anything from doing at least the first level of Traeger training He, he said you already have a good sense
3: of the work. Hello everyone Andrew Sturman here I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram where I'll be posting cooking tutorials you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much.
1: Well, and it sounds like the other thing that you've done which I suspect all practitioners do over time. We take something that we're called to that we're drawn to. We learn it. Sometimes we have to really bang our head against it to get it. Sometimes it comes in really easily, like you explained with uh, Peter. But we get these influences and and then they start to like in our own mind, in our own experience, we see how things connect or how they might connect.
2: Yeah,
0: I think you're absolutely right. And I started on my own just playing with that. Let me back up and explain some basics of sotai to discuss what is yin sotai versus sotai. And if we have time, I'll mention also sotai intuitivo, which is the work of a friend in Japan, Hiro also brilliant. His English is probably up to it. You could add him to your list of people to interview if you could arrange that.
1: You're a bit of a troublemaker, you said. <laughs> Why don't you do a month of body work, and at the moment, we could easily do two. This is the first of the series. I think
0: Pacific College in San Diego is the only school that's ever had Thai massage as a class taught in a, a Chinese medicine program. So they'd probably be the ones to talk to there. I think Rick Gold, who has a, a good book out. So if you want to bring Thai massage in, I suspect... That would be the right way to go, but you could also—I could put you in touch here in Portland with Dr. Paul Greenbaum, the real scholar of it. Gone there every year for probably the last 25 years, of studying. And his wife is Thai. He really knows what he's talking about. Anyway, in Sotai, I just defined it as an indirect method. First, the word Sotai, as Stephen Brown describes it after world war ii this popular exercise system in japan called tai so right the syllables reversed
2: mm-hmm. and
0: it's characterized by sort of a militaristic rigid posture kind of calisthenics we might say and hashimoto saw that popular system and he thought no that kind of rigid bearing that's the opposite of health those are the trees that get blown over in a strong wind we want to be like the bamboo mm-hmm.
2: so
0: to communicate that he wanted the exact opposite of Tai So, he called his work So Tai. Clever, very clever.
1: It is clever, yeah.
0: But I have had a Japanese patient, you know, in my age category, who, when I start to explain what I want to do with them, they say,
2: "Oh, So Tai,"
0: because they remember Dr. Hashimoto for a few years had his own television program in Japan where he was teaching people how to help one another at home. Mothers working on kids or vice versa. And so they recognize and they know how to work with me. So it's an indirect method. Hashimoto was asked in the most succinct way to define Sotai. He said, it's a gentle medicine. So we're moving in the direction of ease. So say you have an elbow problem, pain. You would flex and extend to determine which one is a more easeful or comfortable movement and that's the one we're going to use right we don't use the one that elicits pain we move in the direction of ease while exhaling and the practitioner will control when you inhale when you exhale when you move and so you're moving together with the exhale and at some point in that available range of motion The practitioner is going to offer resistance and not some so that you get slowed down it's a hundred percent it's a no resistance none, none 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 then you're totally stopped but the practitioner but the patient has been coached ahead of time to know that when you encounter my resistance keep trying to move keep the effort low comfortable we don't want to wrestle one another and I'm going to hold that resistance for three, four, five seconds. For Peter, by the way, it's it's actually more like two. But in Hashimoto's book, he says three to five. And Stephen, by the way, was Brown was the translator of Hashimoto's book. And he also studied just that one day with Hashimoto when he met him and received a treatment from him. So those are the two people here in the U.S. who can speak really authoritatively of what was a treatment from Hashimoto like. And so then once the command to stop the effort is given then the rest of the range of motion is completed passively right the practitioner's got maybe the hand the forearm is resisting this say this extension movement of the elbow and once the, you give the command to relax after 3 seconds and then when they really have relaxed you the muscles have relaxed you passively have completed that sounds way too simple to be of use in medicine that was my first response sorry very nice principle to move in a direction of ease but how's this going to help a frozen shoulder how's it going to help a tennis elbow bum knee and i have taught crowds and exercise physiologists and they felt like they could understand what was going on by the way they Loved Sotai right from the start, and they saw where it would be an important part of their practice. They said, We have patients, we don't know what to do with them. They have real pain, it's significant. We haven't been able to budget, but now I see I can do a Sotai routine with them. And so they felt like they could explain it, but it's complicated, you know, this whole idea of eccentric flexing of muscles and so on. I, I don't understand that sort of thing, but they had a good explanation of it. And I just follow the simple uh, Sotai way. You know, Jeffrey Dan, we've interviewed him, and he's a good anatomist as well as a hell of a practitioner and theorist. And he could come up with a good explanation in the anatomy how Sotai works. The way my mind works, I don't need that explanation. I just, uh, it was like that with Milton Traeger, by the way. He, He became a doctor when he was about 50 years of age. He had been doing his work since his teens. And people asked him, now that you know the anatomy and physiology, how has it changed your body work? He said, not one bit. It was always about the feel. He said, I know the muscle insertions now, but that doesn't do anything for me. I'm not saying we shouldn't learn anatomy and physiology, but I'm saying it is possible to practice at least certain styles by feel. That's been my interest in uh, sotai, And so those are the basics. we testing, right? This mobility test, motility mobility test that's called Doshin. And then this idea of moving with the exhale. And at some point, there's going to be resistance from the practitioner for, say, three seconds. And then the command to relax is given. And when the muscle is really relaxed, then we passively complete. Of the range of motion. So that's really what I was working with. But Peter put a real finesse to it. And he had a whole kata that he would go through with the patient and starting at the feet, moving up the uh, supine body. And he didn't have enough time to do a lot of prone sotai in his regular kata, a few moves. But often when you were face down with him, is when he would do the needles Mm -hmm. just for five minutes seven. And he uses like a micro microstim on the needles as well. And a little, occasionally a little bit of moxa. And he includes a little bit of bodywork. Right? When you study acupuncture in Japan, you know, you do study uh, shiatsu as well. So he uses uh, some of that
2: in his treatments.
1: So that's the, it's just called the regular sotai. You're already talking about very in processes we're moving in the direction of ease right we're not We're not trying to muscle anything I mean there's that moment of of resistance, and you're staying with it, but then there's complete completion of the movement without any effort that I mean already that sounds very
0: yin yeah, I mean so tai, regular Hashimoto sotai is yin laid up against most styles of body. Work. Now, some people, when you ask them to move, they're going to make a very yang-ish movement. Uh, We counsel them. It works a little bit better if it's gentle. But some people, they're very yang in their nature. But the movements in sotai done with strength, they're still very, very helpful, right? You have kind of a whole body isometric contraction when you're doing things that way. And then a sudden release of that. And so that's what a more yang style of of sotai looks like. And particular sotai movements seem to work a little bit better if they're a little bit heading in the yang direction and others more in the yin direction. That all comes with time and experience. So, yeah, how did I end up moving yin, yin, yin? Well, I mentioned Russell Delman. Feldenkrais and Anat Buniel and her neuro movement, she calls her system and the Traeger body work, but also someone else. I hope you'll be interviewing Stephen Schleipfer with the Qigong Twina. This is nothing like Twina. It really should change its name to yin yang channel pulsing or something like that. Mm. It's extraordinarily subtle. And I started to study with him. That's probably 10 years now that that's. And I still study with him. So it's all pushing me in the direction of yin, 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 yin. And all the while still having this background of having yang needling and uh, yang bodywork and appreciating it. I, I still would love Thai massage if I had a chance to have it regularly. It's a great system. But I was moving in this uh, yin direction. And then... There's another idea in Sotai called a pattern of distortion, uh, his amino Hase. And what this says is, say, Michael, you have plantar fasciitis just in your right foot. You're going to walk in such a way as to favor that, right? Come with all your weight down on the part that hurts. Over time, that's going to lead to an overuse of your left side. And the pattern of distortion says is where it's most likely to show up is sort of one unit higher, so the left ankle. And conversely, if the left ankle were the original problem and not the right foot, and you would walk in a way favoring that left ankle, the pattern of distortion concept says, well, it's gonna cross the other side up a level, you're gonna get possibly a right knee problem. And the right knee might lead to a left hip problem. And, you know, we have these zigzagging lines, the way it's drawn out on in two dimensions. In reality, reality these are spiral lines of influence, right? So is this concept of zigzagging areas of stuckness up the structure, right? The myofascial and bony structure. Well, I thought about that idea of a pattern of distortion, and I thought about a key phrase I had learned from Russell Delman when he was treating someone with SI joint problem and they were on their back, so they're there, supine. He was standing and he touched both ASIS. It was so exquisitely light. And he said, My hands are here and they're just a little bit more than gravity. Sometimes a phrase like that can change your life.
1: A little bit more than gravity. Oh, yeah, no, thank you. I'm curious about that.
0: So maybe eight years ago also, Dan Bensky in his way with the engaging vitality that he and Marguerite and Chip put together, I hosted them and got a chance to study. So this idea of listening at listening posts, right? bilaterally listening at the ankles the knees asis ribs and so on that became a key right. idea for me in forming the yin so tai. now they're truly just touching and listening for what an engaging vitality would call the yang rhythm but another style would call it the cranial rhythmic impulse right and you're assessing left and right amplitude differences i thought what if i touch with a little bit more than that. And I'm looking for Sotai actionable information, not information about the state of the yang in the body. And so I would touch on the top of the feet, right? We're imagining a patient on the table, on her back, and I just touch on the foot a little bit more than gravity. You see one of them has a little bit more ability to move into a plantar flexion when compared to the other. That's all the information I need to construct a yin-so-tai move. Because in yin-so-tai, both sides have a movement, always. I don't work on one shoulder. I'll give one shoulder a movement and another movement to the other shoulder or to the ribs or to the ASIS on the other side of the body. Now, there's a reason in normal sotai thinking for that. That is that uh, and this ties into Jeffrey Dan's work with the Koshi balancing. This Koshi as the LUMBO, greater LUMBO pelvic center, right? Koshi is the Yang to the Hara it being the Yin. And it is a so principle that with every movement, even in the wrist, we're supposed to have Koshi engaged well most people don't do that though if they're doing a sotai in the wrist they don't engage koshi because it's easy to leave koshi out right it's kind of artificial for most people's movement patterns to involve it in any significant way but if you are moving right shoulder and the left knee or the left asis it's impossible to leave Koshi out of the equation. Koshi has to be engaged. If I'm doing one ankle and the other ankle, it's impossible to leave Koshi out. So I was designing a system because I studied with Jeffrey starting in 2004. He has been a big influence and a dear mentor to me. This is really, Yin So Tai is a way for me to honor importance I learned from him to give to Koshi because I wanted a system that demanded of the patient's body that koshi always get activated with every movement. So that, that's their the yin-so type. And I dialed the amount of patient effort way back, almost a homeopathic, if they will do that with me. It's difficult for some patients to dial their movement down to such a minimalistic efforting. Uh, But that's the goal. We want to train them uh, to get there because it's an odd thing that you get from the uh, study in Feldenkrais stuff. He cites a a law that's not off the, I'm not going to come up with it off the top of my head, in the nervous system that if you want to make nervous system change, right? We can make muscle change with strong pressure. And that's what we did in Thai massage. But if you want to make nervous, neurological change, you want. Gentler and gentler effort, and you want awareness that's the key thing from Anat Buniel and her work. Movement with awareness holds the possibility of neurological change. If you're just moving without awareness, you're just reinforcing a habit. And if you're moving strongly, you're doing a movement you already know how to do, there's no novelty. But if you imagine, so imagine I'm working with you now, Michael, and you've got. Tennis elbow on the right. You've flexed your arm. Say we do the mobility test, and flexing is more comfortable than extending. So you're gonna, with the exhale, flex. I want you to imagine that you've never made that movement ever before. That kind of curiosity and novelty brought to the movement, in that, there is the hope of neurological change. And that's what Milton Traeger was after. He's very explicit, and that's what Hashimoto was after. I think they would have loved one another. And of course, Traeger and Feldenkrais they did love one another. They met at Eslin, and immediately, well they had the, the Jewish background to time together as well, but you know Feldenkrais received a treatment from Traeger and spoke very highly of it. He said, "You've given me new niece. I wished I had met you years before."
1: Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective on doing a movement like you've never done it or investigating it in a way that brings the novelty of the experience of being embodied and what's happening with your body. I often hear patients, when something changes, they will often minimize it. And the way they minimize it is they say, oh, it's just a baby step. And I have found myself over the years saying, a baby step is not small to a baby. It's world-changing. It's a big, big deal to a baby. Thank you for that phrase about a little more than the sense of gravity, but also this, that sense of engaging movement as if for the first time. Even the suggestion as if for the first time, that already... I find my entire nervous system being like, oh, that sounds exciting. I mean, most of us, if we're not terrified by it, love novelty, right? It can go both directions. It can be very frightening or it could be like incredibly delicious.
0: Yeah, exactly. So by the way, I think starting tomorrow for a week, a free documentary on Not Bunny L's work, if you just go to her website, Her story, A-N-A-T, B as in baby, A-N as in Nancy, I-E-L. You can just find her online, and I'm sure it's prominent on her website to get a free ticket to documentary. That woman is just uh, brilliant in her work with special needs children, or adults for that matter, and uh, recovery from traumatic injury also. You know, her background's in psychology and dance, and so just... and. She met well. She fell in Christ when she was two years old. Her father was a scientific colleague of his, so she's a great resource if you want something to jumble. I don't know jumble you're thinking in Chinese medicine, but a, a beautiful new influence. With her, I've got to mention Buckminster Fuller, where I, I've had two dreams in which I'm with a group of Chinese medicine students and they don't know
1: who bucky fuller <laughs> how was. could you not know bucky fuller
0: and i'm crying because he how you are trying to impart to them what an extraordinary human figure that he was well we don't have to go into his whole biography people can go to bfi.org buckminster fuller institute to get that there are many youtube videos but A key concept, because we're talking Yin-Sotai, was his concept. He wrote this as one word, more with lessing. What a strange English word.
1: More with lessing. That sounds like Bucky. Bucky had a really Mm -hmm. playful, engaging way of using language. Right.
0: He said, rather be not understood than misunderstood. You have to think about that one. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what is more with lessing? That was his rationale for his creative use of language. More with Lessing is the attempt to do ever more with ever less. Why use 20 needles when, like I think Toyahari, which I've studied, gone through the basic training twice, this is classic more with Lessing, right? One of the Japanese meridian therapy styles. Dan and Marguerite's engaging uh, vitality is a more with Lessing style. Absolutely. Right. You could end up with very few needles expertly placed in that style. That's Bucky Fuller would put the stamp of approval on that. And he did, by the way, receive acupuncture in Japan whenever he was there. And Dan Kenner on his old website told the story of him coming to be treated by his sensei, Dr. Mie. Uh, so we want to do ever more without ever less. Who could argue with that? We're in the era of resource shortages. Fuller was acutely aware of that. He paid for, in the early 60s, a complete inventory of the known resources of the earth and uh, had what he called the world game to try to intelligently allocate them. But in Yin-So-Tai, we're asking that question, right? What's the least amount effort I could ask the patient to give me and all I have to do is meet to to resist a very light effort. I don't have to come in heavy-handed. So I'm learning something all the while myself. When I do Yin So Tai with a patient, I swear with every treatment, my skills get subtler and subtler.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's, it's like a kind of a, a training ground, and that subtlety then influences my needling. It influences my ability to find good point locations and influences how i use the the tation so this is kind of movement towards the yin direction with sotai has uh, created this spillover effect into other aspects of my practice life very grateful grateful to hashimoto for the original idea grateful to stephen for that was his first book he translated, right? Grateful to him and that he transmits it, teaches it beautifully. Grateful to Peter and Akiko Thompson for practicing that here as their main way. Jeffrey includes Sotai in his Koshi balancing protocol. And many colleagues mentioned Hiro, uh, Kumatsu, Randy, Lucas and Alaska, very good Sotai practitioner, Erlen Truitt down in New Mexico. You know, the people all over the country, because really primarily because I think of of Peter and Stephen and Jeffrey, that they, before I came along, they were getting the word out about Sotai. And I think there'll be some North American version. I suppose my yin Sotai is a North American version of it. I try to stay true to Hashimoto's principles. For instance, there's Sotai now, modern day in Japan, they've abandoned the use of the breath. None of us here think that's a good idea. The first time I studied in Boston at the Charles River School of Shiatsu with Peter, the whole first morning, Saturday morning, he talked about the breath the entire time. And so he's not a fan of that abandoning the breath. I'm not, but I'm just saying it's already gone in a different direction in Japan not many people doing original Hashimoto style Sotai there. They've already improvised and other influences came in their lives. Now, the hero, he's got some great ideas. I hope you do bring him on for an interview. His work we call Sotai Intuitivo is quite different. I don't have the time. Now I'm looking at the clock and I I would leave it to him to explain his own work anyway, but some of his ideas I brought into yin-sotai. I can't remove the breath, though. He used very strong movements and a different way of testing for the movements. So I think that all useful ideas and they can be Yinized, just like I've Yinized every other
2: aspect of the sotai.
1: The thing you just mentioned about the breath, well, it got my attention for a couple things. Number one, Everything is always in motion, and everything is always evolving. And so while something amazing could have come from Japan, they could also through time forget what they had. And likewise, the seeds of something foreign can land on a different soil, like here in the States, and catch root, and flourish, you know. We are in a a time, I think, with East Asian medicine, where people who learned it here, or maybe had some influence from the East, but you know we've primarily engaged our practices here, and our experience here, and the people that we've met here, have allowed us to create what it is we do. And I mean, I remember years ago reading Steve Clavey's book on fluid physiology and pathology and thinking they should translate this into Chinese because they could could use it over there. The other thing about breath that I just want to come back to, and I think this is important, maybe because it's a central aspect of my practice, which is that throughout our work, whatever work it is that we're doing, it's important that we are engaged with our patients. I could talk for hours about ways of engaging with our patients, because there's lots of different ways. But the thing about the breath, Mm -hmm. I think it is the most primordial and quickest way to be connected to somebody else. When your breathing kind of synchronizes in some way, something is activated.
0: Long ago talk, well, two talks, one from Peter Yates, who passed away sadly a few years ago. One of the people who brought Japanese style acupuncture to the US, he was on Long Island, and Dan Bensky in a talk. They both said the first visit with a new patient, they teach it breathing. Said, Whoa, that's pretty fascinating. Now, we've mentioned earlier in our conversation Alice Wieldon, the Seiki Soho continuing the work of uh, her teacher, Kishi. In a Seiki treatment, you have a hawk's eye on the patient's breathing uh, the entire time. You don't close your eyes, you don't space out. You're watching for change there. And uh, so obviously the, the breath, very important. And I think, let me be fair to the people in Japan, why they abandoned the breath was not because Of a lack of appreciation of the breath is because they were doing things that were longer sequences. They couldn't be completed on one exhale. Some of the practitioners, it looks like they're doing Feldenkrais functional integration more than sotai. Of course, that's fine. I have the highest opinion about that. I want to be fair, it's not out of lack of appreciation of the importance of the breath that they abandon it in their own therapy. they couldn't do what they wanted to do on one exhale
2: cycle.
1: That's helpful. But again, we're back to looking at evolutionary processes. Things change over time, things slide out. Of course, there's usually a good reason.
0: By the way, jumping back to Bucky Fuller, one more of the prince. his life mission was to discover nature's organizing principles and turn them to the advantage of all of humankind. That should be understood as a taoist mission right understand nature's organizing principles how is that not taoist and turn them to the advantage of all that's like bodhisattva and he called precession well this has a astronomical meaning but he took it in a metaphorical sense he said that the intended outcome of a given action is always going to be less than the impact of the unintended outcomes, so let's his example was a bee goes to a flower. What do they want? They want food for self and for hive, one hive propagating all the plants of the forest is far more significant as an impact than one hive staying alive. so you go to a store I like this example to buy whatever carton of milk orange juice and mother in front of you has a child that's acting out terribly and with your own child maybe you would have been harsh with them spoken to them harshly maybe even spanked them who knows what you would have done but you notice this mother so deftly and so lovingly deal with this acting
2: out child and effectively and you think oh my God, I have been parenting in such caveman
0: way. Who do I know? Cavemen, <laughs> raise their kids, but let's just say, you know, a brutal way. You went there to get a carton of milk and you leave with a different parenting idea. What's going to be the greater impact in your life, and not just your life, but your child's life and their kids, right? And their kids' kids. and So he says, we live in a precessional universe and we don't even know it this precession happens every time something happens and so i developed yin so tai just out of my own intellectual curiosity i didn't know if it was going to work and i'm not saying it's better than regular so tai but i've gotten feedback from Student, because I've taught this here in Portland and elsewhere for years now. By the way, there are YouTube videos, this, so that will be helpful for the listeners. You can go to YouTube, just put Bob Quinn, Blue Poppy, Yin Sotai. Uh, you'll get there because they're hosted on the Blue Poppy YouTube channel. And when I developed it, it was for me and my practice. I didn't think I'd ever teach it. I thought teaching was for Stephen Brown, Peter Thompson, Jeffrey Dan. They're my seniors, they're my teachers. Not my business to be out there promoting something novel. But, you know, sharing it at UNM and at OCOM, this word gets out and, you know, then the Oregon Acupuncture Association asks, you know, to teach this. And it's happened many times like that. And I've taught it now in other doctoral programs and get the feedback like that it revolutionized their practice and their way of thinking.
1: Yes, and it came because you followed something that had your attention.
0: Yeah, and it's precession. My intention was not to develop something to teach a novel new thing that could go out there. It was for me to develop a way to bring in this influence from Russell Delman and not Boniel, the Milton Traeger and all these other influences, Alice, Dan Bensky, just to funnel it into something that uniquely kind of came from Micah Besa, but this is precession. That's what Bucky Fuller is saying. The outcome is bigger because it went out into the world, and this would be the case with any of the novel styles that have been developed. So that's interesting to me that this is one of the key principles that Bucky Fuller saw in nature, this precession, this more with Lessing. There are others, I encourage people to study his work. It's you'll, you need 10 lifetimes to really dive in, but you should start, you know, it's just such beautiful stuff. And he was kind of a technological bodhisattva. He died without, he made millions of dollars, all got poured into the next project. He left with, he died without an estate, no money left. Yeah, they had to raise money to have a Buckminster Fuller Institute. It was always thinking about the whole. That's another principle. All, commence always with your attention to the whole. You know, that's the, we were talking about the breath. The whole can be seen to be embodied in the style of breathing that the patient uh, utilizes.
1: Well, and I'm struck here too, thinking about Yin So And whatever work you're doing with it, it's also connected to the Koshi.
2: Yeah, absolutely. By the way, you know, both there are CE
0: classes on Blue Poppy for Yin-Sotai and Koshi Balancing. The free stuff I mentioned on the YouTube, it's really enough to get you. Of course, watching a whole DVD for two hours or the whole CE course might be better. There's sufficient material on YouTube that's absolutely for free on the Blue Poppy channel that you can get going. If you say you've had no Sotai exposure, no Yin Sotai exposure, I think that's enough if you're comfortable already working with bodies.
1: It can get you started. I'll make sure links are on the show notes page and generous of you to have that up there and, and even more so taking this time to sit down today for this discussion. Because what I'm hearing is there is a curiosity and a sort of thirst, sense of inquiry that you've had throughout your career. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm a born eclectic soul.
1: Yeah. And it, and it's led you to this. I think that's an important thing for people to recognize if they want to take a look into it. It's knowing a little bit about the mind and the heart of the person who first noticed it. I'll
0: tell you something. It, I used to be so smart. You know, I had a full scholarship to college. I was a smart guy. Chronic Lyme disease ruined that. There are permanent neurological deficits. I am not one tenth the smartness in a school academic work, that I used to be. That's a blessing. It put me into my hands. I can't do complicated stuff. I can't practice a complicated style. It has to be really on the level of following my touch. In a very real way, it's, it was a great blessing uh, to have that kind of intelligence. You know, I, I studied math and I studied logic. I was a very smart guy. <laughs> and I, Now, just my approach to... I'm embarrassed to have people watch me practice because I say, why why did you do that? I felt I was feeling, and there's something here that is unhealthy. It's a chi or in Japanese, a jockey. I'm just feeling for otherness. And when I asked Dr. Bear, Iwashina sensei, you know, why he's picking given points in the abdomen. He does a little tapping technique with the, Kind of a thicker tool, like an inch in and little mallet, and he said, "I just feel for otherness. he said it could be otherness in the skin, could be energetic otherness, could be the muscle beneath the skin. I feel a little tension, any kind of otherness that's going to get some tapping. I thought oh that gives me license to start exploring this idea of scanning the abdomen, where is the otherness what is the character of this otherness, but give some treatment, might not be local. I might find a distal area to treat to bring change, but but trying to uh, make things
2: a little bit uh, easier.
1: You know, this is such a wonderful part, I think, of the medicine that we practice, that our influences, and especially deep influences, they sometimes can come with a simple phrase, or. All of a sudden, you look and you see things differently, where you put your hands on and you notice something that you'd not noticed before, and it's, it's undeniable. Right. And here you are with the strange blessing of Lyme disease, which took you out of your thinking mind and put you into your hands. So, good, bad, often hard to make some distinctions here with that kind of thing.
0: You know, so when I write something, say for the North American Journal, which I do frequently, they're always just little clinical tip kind of thing. I can't write the way that Chip and Dan and Heiner Fruhoff, that these people, I literally don't have the basic capacity to do anything like that. Whereas before I was quite capable of that kind of thing. So it's a true blessing for me. And I by extension, my patients, that this is the way I'm supposed to work, through my hands. It was, like I said, 1983, bought a massage table and just wanted hands-on people.
1: Well, my friend, well played.
0: Yeah, I intend to keep at it as long as I can. When I first went to Japan with Jeffrey and Stephen, there was this one Meridian therapist, he was almost 90. He was still practicing, got to watch him. That's it. And of course, the Shudo sensei himself, well into his 80s. I don't know, maybe he's over 85 now, I'm guessing. And uh, still practicing. Uh, that's my model. There's no sense to invest all the time I invested in this. And my attitude is always I want to, because of Bucky Fuller is my number one sensei. And I, I want to help other human beings. And and so I intend to keep at it as, as long as I possibly can physically.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for the time today. It's always a delight to hang out with you. And I have some new things to chew on. I'm looking forward to walking into clinic tomorrow.
2: Yeah. Well, watch
0: the YouTube videos. I think they're only... The longest one's 20 minutes, and you might get some ideas there.
1: I think I will.
0: Well, it's great to see you, Michael.
1: Take good care. Buckminster Fuller, I'd not thought about Bucky for a long, long time. I remember him as an odd cultural relic from the late 60s and early 70s. Here's this clean-cut engineering-type guy with nerdy glasses, and that's before it was fashionable. He's writing books with titles like I Seem to Be a Verb, and he's designing and building geodesic domes. He's talking about whole systems and how humans are part of nature, but at the same time, he's not some kind of back-to-the-land nature guy. He's an engineer. That idea that Bob shared, that we can head out to buy a carton of milk, and come home with a whole new idea about raising children. How we start off to do something mundane and mindless, but if we are paying attention, our entire world can suddenly spin on a new pivot. That is something worth leaving a little room for in our day-to-day lives. And it also can happen in our treatment rooms. Thanks as always for listening.